Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all here today, and as Isaac said, we're continuing in our relationship series today, and we are talking about dating. Dating. Isn't it that time when dating, maybe you think about dating, or you think you're going to date again, or you love somebody who is going to date? We're definitely talking to you today. If you don't have any interest in dating, you don't plan to ever date again, we're gonna talk to you today too, so nobody's off the hook, okay? But what I wanna talk about specifically is keep coming back to dating as we walk through our, uh, our story that we're gonna read in scripture today. Do you remember dating, those of you who haven't done it in a while, or those of you who are in the middle of it right now, or those of you who hope to do it again at some point in the future, isn't it one of the greatest, most exciting, and terrifying of human experiences. Dating is just one of those things that you vacillate between being giddy and being desperate, right? And as we said last week, it's one of those things there in dating when you feel tingling is like that common sense leaving the body, right? This is dating and relationships are just hard and dating is especially complicated. And as we're gonna discover here today is that starting a relationship is difficult and complicated, and ending a relationship is difficult and complicated at times. And so to kind of get us in the mood and to kind of get us thinking that way, let's have a little bit of fun and let's watch this video that reminds us of how ending a, a relationship can be difficult as well. When it comes to Christian breakup lines, we got nothing. All we can say is, well, I don't know, God told me to break up with you. Oh, really, Vanessa? God told you to break up with me two weeks before prom? Well, he could have told me that before I rented this tux. <laughs> I'm over it, clearly. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first and I believe only Christian breakup lines. Hey, do you know Kurt Cameron? Because you're about to be left behind. All things work together for good, but we ain't together and this ain't good. If I'm the Bible, you're the book of Thomas not included. Wait, hold on, Thomas, is that one of the books? No, it's not one of the books, that's the joke. Why are we breaking up? Call me Matt Redman, because I got 10,000 reasons. Honestly, great song though. My body is a temple and you ain't a member. Hey, um, are you an alcoholic beverage? Because I can't be seen with you. For I know the plans and you ain't a part of them. I think it's in the Message Bible. Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, and we ain't together anymore, I'm going to a different church, bye. Don't use that one. Hey, uh, are you about to be wrongly accused? Because this is about to be our last supper. Hey, um, are you a river in Egypt? Because you in denial about this relationship. I just feel like Paul, you know, there's a constant thorn in my side, and I'm pretty sure it's you. Boom. Roasted. I was reading through the Booker numbers, and I realized I hadn't blocked yours yet. Wow, really? I have decided to unfollow you on Instagram. Hey, you want to go on a date this weekend? I was thinking about getting a campfire going. Kumbaya, this ain't going to work anymore. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. You see me clapping my hands? No, cause I'm not happy. Hey, real quick, are you mercy me? Cause I can only imagine being satisfied in this relationship. Hey, did it hurt when you fell from heaven? Cause you for sure got kicked out. Oh, snap. Can we FaceTime? Uh, call me Peter, cause you about to be denied three times. Um, are you a short-term mission trip? Cause you're doing more harm than good. Take that one out, that one's probably too far. Scratch this one. I once was blind, but I'm about to see myself out of this relationship. Goodbye. Hey, real quick, um, are you the book of Revelation? Cause this story's about to be over. I don't actually recommend using those. 
But relationships are so complicated. And what I think is interesting is we talk about dating today. It will be very tempting for you to go, oh, well, I'm, that's not me. So I don't have to in, in, embrace these principles. But let me just encourage you to think about this. All of us have relationships that are influential in our life. Dating is one of the most influential relationships, especially if they become a spouse. But all of us have influential relationships beyond our spouse. It could be a friend, it could be a best friend, it could be a mentor or someone that we're following and listening to who is influencing your life. And so here's what I wanna say. As we think about those relationships in your life, and I believe this with all my heart, the relationships that influence us determine our future. They always determine our future. Those influential relationships, especially dating, but all of us have those relationships. And so if that's true, then we wanna be real intentional with our relationships. It's why I love this proverb, Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20. It reminds us that you walk with the wise and you become wise. However, the companion of fools suffers harm. Now listen, when you look at that, if you know someone who's looking to date, ask them to memorize this verse. This is a great way to have a filter for who I should date and who I shouldn't. If you're looking for a mentor, mentor, I would encourage you to use this verse as a filter. If you're looking for a friend to get closer, if you're looking for people who could influence you, here's a verse to memorize. Walk with the wise and you become wise, but a companion of fools, you don't become a fool, you suffer harm. And we've all been down that road, haven't we? And that's why this is so important, what we're talking. So whether you're dating or not, this is our filter today. I want us to embrace some practices from a biblical story we're gonna look at today. In fact, we're gonna look at four practices to help you evaluate the influential relationships in your life. So whether it's a dating relationship, whether it's a mentor, whether it's a close friend, as you're filtering who that should be, are you walking with wise people or are you in the companion of fools? We need to have some practices that we can embrace to help us make wise decisions. So that's the goal today. But let me give you full disclosure as we talk about dating today. The Bible doesn't talk about dating at all, okay? And yet, I think the Bible has a lot to say about how we should approach dating. Now, why does the Bible not talk about dating? Because through the centuries, how we have chosen our spouse has changed. And when we look through recorded history, did you know that for most of recorded history, marriages were simply seen as a business arrangement between families all the way into the Middle Ages? And then we see in the last few centuries where there began this process of courting, where you would actually see maybe a female uh, sort of entertain gentleman callers over in her home where they would be under the watchful eye of a careful chaperone and all the dads said amen, right? And then it's only been since 1920s that we begin to use this word that we use today in the way we use it, this term dating. Bottom line is, dating is a relatively new phenomenon in our culture to emerge. And yet, the Bible has a lot to say that can help us in approaching this cultural phenomenon. Now, I wanna give a caveat as we begin, because if you're new here and maybe you don't even follow scripture, you don't follow God, I am so glad that you're here and you're welcome here. And we're gonna look at some ancient wisdom that God himself, we believe in scripture, gives us. And I just want you to look at it and consider if following that wouldn't lead to a better life. 
So I'm glad you're here to consider it with us today. So dating's new, and so then here comes the question, now what's the purpose of dating again? Why do we date? What is the ultimate outcome? And Wikipedia, of all people, gives this wordy but I think accurate definition says, dating is a stage of romantic relationships whereby two people meet socially within the aim of each assessing the other's suitability as a prospective partner in a future intimate relationship. All right, that will be on the test. Here's the key word, assessing. If I were to use a much simpler definition of dating, I would say it is this, you are evaluating. This is what you're doing. You're evaluating, is this person a proper partner for me to spend the rest of my life with or no? And guess what? They're evaluating you too, right? And that's okay. But here's why that's an important distinction because what dating is not, dating is not a status. It is a process. If we won't get all into the weeds here, but the bottom line is there are all kinds of relational Uh, categories in scripture and boyfriend and girlfriend is not one of them and so therefore you're dealing with someone who follows Christ just like you do it is a process by which you are deciding whether or not they will go into that next biblical relationship of husband and wife therefore it's not about whether or not I'm dating that I have a certain status but am I evaluating well to walk with the wise it is a process it is not about a status but remember the Bible doesn't talk about dating but it has so much to say about how we should approach dating. So here's what we're gonna do. Instead of getting uh, the latest edition of some magazine, we're gonna look at some really ancient stories today. In fact, this story, if you think back to the time of Jesus in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago, the story we're gonna look at today, they would have considered ancient because it was already 2,000 years old when Jesus showed up on the scene. We're going back to 2000 BC, 4,000 years ago into ancient history. And I want you to see this story. We're gonna look at three characters, a man named Abraham, who many consider the father of our faith, and then his son Isaac and his eventual wife, Rebecca. Abraham, Isaac and Rebecca. Sarah, Abraham's wife, has just died and they're in mourning and that sort of ticks off a clock for Abraham to begin to help look for a a spouse for his son Isaac. So with all that said, if you've got your Bibles, I hope you'll follow this ancient story. I promise you it's helpful whether you're dating or not. Genesis chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, there's one there in the pew. You can grab it. You can look. It's the easiest book of all to find because it's the first one. Find it in chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24, one of the amazing things back in the day here is arranged marriages, part of this ancient culture. Now, I love my parents, but I am so glad they didn't choose my spouse. I have kids, I love my kids, but I am so glad I am not responsible for choosing their spouse. But this was very much a cultural norm back then. In fact, some cultures still practice this arranged marriage approach even today. Well, back then, they would have approached this idea of arranged marriages, and that's where we're going to pick up the story. Abraham decides it's time to find a wife for his son. We're in Genesis chapter 24. We're going to pick up in the first verse. What's interesting, of all 50 chapters in Genesis, this is the longest of all 50 chapters, the one where they're talking about finding a spouse. Isn't that interesting? So we begin in Genesis chapter 24, verse 1. It says, Abraham was was now very old and the Lord had blessed him in every way. So financially he's been blessed, with his family he's been blessed, with his influence and prosperity, he has been blessed. However, he's just lost his wife and now he's concerned about his son. 
So he said to the senior servant in the household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. Now that's awkward, right? (laughs) All right, we're 4,000 years ago. The culture is very, very different today. We shake hands, all right? Verse three, this is not a contract, but this is a covenant they're about to make. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaan, not from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son, Isaac. And right out of the gate, what we see Abraham reminding us is There are some people who you should not marry. There are some people who you should not consider dating. There are some people that you should not consider spending your life with. And Abraham right away says, there are a group of people, I do not want you to select my son's spouse from these group of people. Why? Because the Canaanites were these polytheistic people who didn't follow the God of Scripture. They didn't follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They didn't follow the God that you and I follow. And he is saying it's very important. Right out of the gate, he is introducing practice number one, and it is this. When you're looking for a spouse, prioritize a shared faith. In other words, I'm going a certain direction and I have a certain allegiance and I should marry someone, I should date someone, I should have best friends who are, I should choose mentors who are prioritizing the same direction and the same allegiance as me. Why is that so important? Because we saw last week in John 15, 5, where Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branch. And we saw that another branch can't give you a source of life. Only the vine can be your source of life. But if you attach yourself to a branch who is pulling you from the vine, it will impact your greatest calling in life. And here Abraham is saying, make sure to prioritize a shared faith. The best image I can think of is that you would chase God with all your heart and all your life. And on your way of chasing God, he'll bring someone in your path who is also chasing God at the same direction and the same pace you're going. And you grab hands and you keep chasing him. But if somebody's going a different direction and have a different allegiance, then there's gonna be a challenge for you to keep chasing your God. And he says, whatever you do, prioritize a shared faith. You see, I love what A.W. Tozer says. He says, the most important thing about a person is what they think about God. Now, I know what some of you are thinking because this is exactly what I would have been thinking. You're thinking, okay, but what if? What if I can't find somebody who prioritizes this shared faith that I prioritize? Or, 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 or what if I'm not gonna find them anytime soon? Or, or, or what if, let's be honest, what if I find somebody who really loves God and they're not very cute, right? <laughs> you were thinking it, weren't you? You were thinking, all right, I'll marry him, but oh man. We're all thinking that too, Word question, what if, what if I, what if I, okay, God, I'll do a deal with you. Okay, maybe they're not so much prioritizing their faith, but they're not anti-faith. And I'll just sort of bring them along for the ride and I'll eventually talk them into sharing my faith. Can we compromise this just a little bit? Because what if I can't find someone chasing God like me? What if? 
And I love that that's our natural response and that scripture actually immediately goes there because the servant who's being told by Abraham to go and find someone who follows God immediately asked that very question. Look at the next verse, verse five. The servant asked, what if? What if the woman, you're telling me to go all the way here from Canaan, which eventually will be Israel, all the way to Mesopotamia, long ways away. What if I go there and the woman is unwilling to come back? Isn't that what we immediately think? I, I want to take the step of faith. I want to trust you, God. But what if? What if there's no one that will come back to this land? Here, here we go. I got a compromise. Why don't we do this? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from and I'll take him there? And I want you to see Abraham's response. I don't know exactly what's going on in his mind, but I want you to see what Abraham immediately says in verse six. He says, make sure that you do not take my son back there. Abraham said, look at this, the Lord, the God of heaven, why is he so confident? The God of heaven who brought me out of my father's house. Back when I was in the land of Ur of the Chaldees, you remember that whole story where they came all the way to Canaan. He goes, I know that God who brought me out of my father's household and he brought me out of my native land and I love these next four words, who spoke to me. I have a past with this God. I know who he is. I've had a personal encounter. I just wanna say for those of you who are here today and you're suffering, you're going through something where you're, you feel like God is just absent in your life and you feel like you're in the darkness right now and you don't feel like you're, you're able to, pinpoint his faithfulness in the current circumstances of your life. I love what Abraham does right here. When it's all the, the, the unsure future, you know, the, the lacking in clarity, he points back to the past and says, I remember when he spoke to me. I know he was faithful. And he doesn't doubt in the darkness what God has already shown him in the light. And he brings it right into his current darkness and says, this is the faithful God I serve. And I think some of us today, we may need to do that. We may need to reach into the past and remember how faithful he's been to us. And whatever you're dealing with right now, say, remember, he spoke to you. He is the Lord of heaven. He has done this in my past. This is who he is. And I will not be the exception to his faithfulness. And here in this moment, the servant says, yeah, but what if? And he goes, no, 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 he's the one who spoke to me and he promised me on oath saying, to your offspring, Abraham, this is what God said to Abraham, I will give you this land to your offspring. That means I'm gonna have a son, guess what? That son's gonna have to get married and have kids in order for me to have offspring. I believe in what God has said. And then he says, and he will, this is Abraham talking to the servant now, he will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. He is confident. And then he says, if the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine, but do not take my son back there. We will not compromise. I am convinced that God will be faithful. And as a result, the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. And that brings us to practice number two. Practice number one is a shared faith. Practice number two is to trust God's plan. To trust him. Even though you can't see it right now, even though it doesn't make sense right now, even though there's no candidates 
on the horizon right now, or even if they're candidates and you're not sure you're excited about them, or even if you're, you know, you're finding some friends, but maybe not best friends, or these could be the influential people in my life. I don't know who I should bring in. Trust God's plan. See, some of us, whenever we're talking about dating, you've already tuned me out. You're like, I don't know, I'm not dating, but let's, this applies to all of us. I mean, think about it in your job right now. Maybe you've lost your job and you're in the place you're like, I don't know how to find that job anymore. Maybe I need to, I need to take a shortcut in my integrity. I'm, I'm, I'm working in the finances here and, and I don't see how we're gonna make it. So I'm gonna take a shortcut here in order to get where we need to be. This is where we have to stop and we have to trust God's plan. Wherever you're tempted to take the shortcut, could we stop and trust God's plan? Abraham, he goes, no, if she's unwilling to come back, you will be released from this oath because I know what God has already promised me and I know he is gonna be faithful. You see, if you really trust God's plan, and this is a lot easier for me to say than for us to hear and practice, I, I recognize that. But when you really trust God's plan, it takes the desperation out of dating, doesn't it? Because now I'm trusting him. I'm not trying to be the branch that's producing all this fruit by grunting and trying and, and doing everything right. My job is just to stay attached to the vine and to trust him that he's got another branch in mind. And this is where I have to trust that he will be faithful with me just like he said he would be. Now here's the question if you're like me, because I always like to be really practical when I'm reading the passage. I begin to think, well, how? How do I grow my trust in God? Because I want to trust him. I think most of us want to trust God, don't we? We have a desire to honor him in that way, but how? Because everything around me feels the what if. How do I grow my trust in God? How do I learn to trust his plan more? And wherever you're tempted to take a shortcut, how can you trust him in this season? And I love the next passage because it gives us an example of a servant who is wrestling with the same thing, who's the very one who asked the what if question. And then we get to see how he goes about building his own trust in the God of Abraham. Look at verse 10, it says, then the servant left, so the servant's being obedient and goes. He's going all the way to Abraham's home country, taking with him 10 of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of goods from his master, and he set out, for Aram Naharim. And he made his way to the town of Nahor, and he had, he had the, ca the camels kneeled down near the well outside, and it was toward evening, the, even, the time the women would go out to draw water. And up until this point, there has been no one. And he's still thinking, what if? What if I don't deliver what Abraham has set me on a task to accomplish? And look what he does to build his trust, his own trust in God. Look what he does. He prayed, Lord, God of my master Abraham, I love this prayer, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. Make me successful today and show kindness to my master. This would be such a great prayer for all of us to begin our day. Make me successful today and then pray for someone else. Make me successful today. And this brings us to the third practice, and this is how we build our trust. It is simply be prayerful. Are you bringing this to God on 
a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis, so that I build my humility and my dependence on him, because you cannot know all the foreseen unknowns. However, there is a God who does. I always picture myself as being a company at a, at a massive company of tens of thousands of people, and I just happen to have a shared office with the CEO who has said, anytime you need to talk, let's talk. And I go around and I talk to all the other employees who are struggling, who are, who are complaining, who are wrestling, and my temptation is to leave the CEO and go and deal with the people who can't do anything about it. But I have an open invitation from the CEO who says, anytime, bring it. Let's talk about it. This is the way God sees us. He is the CEO of the universe who keeps saying, just come to me. Come to me and bring all your burdens to me. Cast them on me. The one who can do something about it. The one whom my life depends. The one who is actually in charge and knows all. May we go to him and be prayerful with that thing that burdens us. A God who loves us so much that he would send his only son is a God who cares about the details of your heart. And whatever is on your heart today, are we being prayerful about that? I think the best step we can take is to be prayerful about our dating life. Be prayerful. So with that, I love the the second half of that prayer. He's not only praying for success, and hey, let's pray for success in our dating life, right? But then I love the second half of his prayer where he prays kindness be shown to Abraham. And I'm always convicted by that, how he always is praying for others. And the question I always have to ask myself is if every prayer I prayed this week were answered, would anyone other than me be better off? Because he's always praying for other people. And now we get to the part that we really all care about. Because let's be honest, here's what we want to know. Can I just see their social media profile, right? I want to see what the eHarmony account looks like. Let me just see, can I just see a picture? Can I see how they actually look, right? And now we get to the part where they're going to describe who they're looking for. And we're all ready for that answer. Like, just ask me the question. I can tell you the answer to that right now. He will look like this. She will act like this. He will have this much money. She will have this much ability. Like, we're just going to have all the categories already lined out. And now we get to see who they are looking for. And I want you to see it. It begins in verse 13. The servant says, see, I am standing beside this spring. And the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be, and here it is. Here's who he's looking for. He describes her. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, this is who I'm looking for, she will say, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Is that not the sexiest line you've ever heard? (laughs) Right? Come on now. That's who you're looking for, guys. Is she going to water your camels? Which would have been gallons of water per camel. I mean, this woman, wow. The servant says, let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And this is the fourth practice. And this is, we need to choose character over cute. Yeah, you giggle because you're like, eh. Can we have both? Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, God, may it be she will have long flowing hair. May it be that she'll have a killer smile or perfect makeup. May it be that she'll be wearing designer sandals. 
May it be that she'll look a certain way, smell a certain way. He said, may she be gracious. May she be hospitable. May she be generous. May she be kind. May she go above and beyond what's asked of her. May she be the kind of person who's willing to get her hands dirty and to serve others. May it be. And he chose character over cute. Now, I bet you you're wondering, well, they need to be cute, okay? Let's, let's not eliminate that one altogether. I get that. But you may be wondering, well, how do we get there? How do we evaluate character? Because that's a big piece of this. Because you don't show up with 10 camels, right? You don't get to have that as a character test. So how do you evaluate character? I was talking with Pastor Sean this week, and she was talking about how with premarital counseling, one of the questions she often likes to, to, to sort of uh, encourage them to evaluate someone's character is to simply uh, encourage them, if they haven't had a chance to move together or to travel together, the best next step is to put together a piece of Ikea furniture. And that, <laughs> isn't that a great way to evaluate character, right? You know, one of the things that you often hear somebody say, uh, you often hear uh, someone say, you know what, he, he, he just won't go to church with me. And remember, what are we doing in dating? We're evaluating. He just gave you a piece of information. Let me give you the, uh, a truth that you already know, and if you're like me, you try to ignore. When somebody shows you who they are, believe them. He's telling you he doesn't value that. Believe him. You can decide whether or not that's a deal killer for you, but believe him. When she has questionable sexual integrity, believe her. When you have questionable sexual integrity, you're demonstrating that as well. I, I have guys occasionally that'll say things like, well, yeah, but during the dating period, let's be honest, we're kind of trying to measure sexual compatibility. And I always want to tell a guy, well, are you a guy? Is she a girl? You're good. God has ensured you're good, right? And so you say, well, now wait a minute. Is sexual purity important? Yes, we see that in the rest of the story. We see that emphasized in the story. Is sexual purity a criteria? No, because that's the goodness of our God, that Jesus came and welcomed us when we were a mess, there are a lot of character flaws that we may have in our background. And I just want to encourage you, when you're evaluating character, be more interested in the direction they're going than where they've been. Can you grab their hand and chase God at the same pace and grow in your relationship with him? You see, there are a lot of ways we can evaluate character, but here's the simplest one I know. In fact, this is the one that's emphasized in this passage, and that is simply this, invite input. Don't do it alone. Don't evaluate their character by yourself. Abraham and the servant are actually going to evaluate the character. The servant's going to be the one who's actually evaluating her character first. And I don't know about you, but when we date, there's this temptation immediately to pair off. 
There's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but then we miss out on the beauty of input from others. We miss out on the safety that comes from the multitude of counselors. And this is one of the tragedies in modern dating. And if you're online dating, knock yourself out. But who's helping you evaluate their character, which is such an important part of this process? Who's helping you notice how they treat people they're not trying to impress? Who's helping you evaluate their character? Here's the warning. A lot of people give bad advice. So who do you listen to? Um, it was just this past Friday night. Uh, Sheridan's here, my niece, and she's, Sheridan, she just bowed her head. Would you just raise your hand so everybody can see? No, you don't have to do that. Sheridan is here, and we were over at, at their house, and, and she was introducing us to some shows. Uh, I wrote them down here. Um, <clears throat> Married at First Sight. 90, uh, what is it? 90 day what? Yeah, okay, Sheridan, you're not alone. Everybody's watching this. Uh, we can't find John 15, five, but we got that one down. Uh, and then, <clears throat> love after lockup, okay? The Bachelor, the Bachelorette, right? And Sheridan would be the first to agree with this. There is a lot of bad advice out there. I'm just gonna tell you. There's a lot of advice out there and a lot of it is really bad. And I'm not saying don't watch those shows, although I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, you got to have at least a couple of people who are godly and wise in your life who are helping you evaluate their character. Even if it's a friend, a best friend, who's helping you evaluate another friend who's coming into your life and getting close and beginning to influence you. Who's helping you evaluate their character? And some of us, the first step we need to take may not be to date. The first step we need to take may be to identify who those godly people are who are wise in our life, who will help us at game time evaluate their character. Here's what's interesting about the story. For the rest of the the chapter, they actually retell the whole story again. You know why? They're emphasizing the faithfulness of God. And then it comes to that moment we've all been waiting for when Isaac and Rebecca finally lay eyes on each other and they embrace. So let's look at that passage. It's found in verse 63 of that same chapter. Genesis chapter 24, look with me down at verse 23. It says, or I'm sorry, verse 63. It says, He, Isaac, went out to the field one evening to meditate. And as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Well, that's, well, that just makes your heart beat fast, doesn't it? (laughs) It's like all these black Mercedes are coming down the road, right? The whole entourage. Oh, that's got to be her. And Rebecca also looked up and she saw Isaac. And she went down from her camel and asked the servant, I love this, Who's that man in the field coming to meet us? And Isaac responds and he says, that's him. He is the master. So she takes her veil and she covers herself, sign of betrothal or engagement. And the servant told Isaac all that he had done. I can't help but think he said, Isaac, your dad was right. We prioritized faith. She loves God. She is chasing God. Isaac, your dad was right. We could trust his plan, that God that was faithful to your dad and brought him all the way here all those years ago, he was faithful here too. And I met her and I'm telling you, I started praying for her and all of a sudden, Isaac, she watered the camels. Yeah. Isaac, 
She has character that is so impressive and she just happens to be beautiful too. And after Isaac had heard all about Rebekah, I can't help but think he pushes the servant out of the way and he brought her into the tent, verse 67 says, the tent of his mother Sarah who had just passed away. And he married Rebekah, so she became his wife and he loved her and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. At the end of the day, whether we're dating someone, whether we're looking for someone to influence our life, here's a prayer I would encourage you to pray. God, does this relationship lead me closer to you? Is this relationship leading me closer to you? Because if you're chasing God and you want to do that for the rest of your life, find a partner who will chase God with you. And he has a way of answering that prayer. You see, one of the verses that we're memorizing, um, the verse that we're memorizing for this series is John 15, 5. These are the words of Jesus and where he's reminding us about relationships 2,000 years ago. And I want us to read this and then I want us to remember the bottom line principle from last week. It's John 15, 5. I want to say it and then I'm going to ask you to say it out loud with me. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the what? So look to the person beside him and say, you're a branch. Okay, we're not the vine, we're not the gardener, we're the branch. And remember, there's only one source of life, it's the vine, not the other branches. So Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And then there's the warning. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It doesn't matter what online service you use, who helps you introduce you to whomever. It doesn't matter how hard you work out, how hard you prepare yourself. Apart from him, we can do nothing. So with that said, this is our verse. Would you say it out loud with me? It's John 15, 5. Say it. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And with all that said, the temptation in our life as we looked at last week was to ask another branch to give me what only the vine can give me. To ask the created to give me what only the creator can give me. And as we saw last week, no matter how great your spouse is, how great your kids are, no matter how great your grandkids are, no matter how great your friends are, no matter how great your coworkers are, at the end of the day, we remember there is only one vine and there is only one person who can give you everything you need and his name is Jesus. So we start there, remaining in the vine and the vine remaining in me. And then with that said, as we take a step toward other relationships which we are called to do, I just want to encourage you with this truth from the story today. Date people who lead you closer to the one who can meet every need you have. Date people who will lead you closer to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that with the desires that you give us to know others, to date others, to have friendships with other people, to have other people who influence us. That's a desire I believe you've given us, that you also give us in your word some practices. Ultimately, God, I just pray that we trust you, that we stay attached to the vine. God, help us to make the chase of your heart the primary chase of our life. Let that be our legacy, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.